Welcome to the second half. I'm your host, Melanie Kenneman, and I'm excited to spend the next hour with you interviewing some of my favorite people in the world. Uh, you know, a lot of people put a lot of weight in the first half of any game, and what they don't realize, it's actually in the second half. The things that you do, the actions you take, the mindset you have that sets you up to win or fail at anything that you do or at any game. I'm so excited to share a little bit about Mo Anderson with you guys on this episode. For those of you that were just recently uh, at Family Read, and I love that Mo talked about the second half and the concept that we talk about here every episode. So she is a huge mentor of mine, made a major impact on so many of our lives. So you are in for such a treat with the most awesome 85-year-old that I know on the planet. Welcome to the world of Mo Anderson. So, so honored to have Mo Anderson as our guest today. So Mo, I just want to say from my heart, thank you for making time for us today to share who you are with the world. Thank you for your time. Well, I'm so honored that you invited me, Melanie. That's wonderful. You've been such an icon and pillar for so many of us, like, like literally to this day, when something is a challenge for me or whatever, I always ask myself, what would Mo do? Let's just start with this because I've got some different questions because I've interviewed you before and we had that awesome lunch that we got to interview but let's I'm going to ask a few different things with Mo because you are such a legacy and we are going to go so many different directions and everybody's in for such a treat for listening and learning from this amazing human being um what what do you think that is the best thing about being Mo Anderson well I think the best thing about being Mo is that I'm 85 in May <laughs> Amazing. And look at you. You are, you are my role. Oh, so my. You know, it's so exciting to know that I'm still alive. I'm still above ground <laughs> <laughs> and I'm getting in to enjoy life. So the most exciting thing is that I'm still cooking. The second thing is when you're ancient like me, except I don't feel old, uh, you have had so many life experiences, and by the time by the time you're almost eighty five, you really pretty much know what you believe and what you think. And and when you know what you believe and what you think, then it's far easier to make difficult decisions. But probably the most fun thing is the fact I'm still dreaming because in spite of COVID, my 80s have come in really strong and now I'm dreaming about what I'm going to be doing in my 90s. Isn't that fun? Isn't that amazing? I love that. That is such, that is such an inspiration because the podcast that I have is actually called the second half, Mo. And the second half is all about, you know, I think a lot of us put a lot of weight in the first half, but it's really the second half, whether it's of your life or of the game that you're playing, it's the second half where you really uh, can make the most out of anything, right? Well, the second half for me has been far better than the first half. And I think that comes with maturing and knowing who you are and knowing what you believe. And it's, it's been exciting. My 70s have been the most productive 
decade of my life. Wow. I'm telling you, my 80s, it's coming in really strong. And I just love that about me. I love that about you. I love so many things about you, but I love that about you. That is such a great answer too. What a, what an inspiration. And, and so much of that is just who you are every day, showing people, you're like raising the bar of what's possible. Like here you are planning, like, what can I make happen in my nineties? You know, like you think yeah. about all these amazing people that at, in that later in life really made the biggest impact. Right. And I, I can't wait to see what your nineties, what you achieve. So here's a question I ask all of my guests. Mo, what does playing to win look like for you? Well, for me, it looks like the will to win. Do, do you get my point? In other words, playing to win or having the will to win means you do whatever it takes. For example, when I was CEO of the company years and years ago, uh, I, I knew that I would have to work really hard because we didn't have the funds back then to hire the staff. And I had let most of the staff or much of the staff go. And so it meant be at the office at six in the morning and I would stay until two o'clock the next morning because there was a lot of staff stuff I had to do because we didn't have a large staff like we do now. And so doing whatever it takes may require some things that you really don't wanna do but you do it anyway, because you, if you're really going to get something launched, you have to do it. And that's part of the will to win. You can play to win, but you got to have the will to win before you can play to win. <laughs> and when Gary allowed me to have ownership in the, the national company that fueled my desire for the company to win. I think the next thing that you have to have is that attitude of never, 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 never give up. Because there were a lot of times that a person in, in my position as CEO of the company could have given up. And I came close one time. I had I had de-hired a number of regions because they hadn't done diddly squat. Right. Wrong people in the wrong seats, right? Wrong people in the wrong seats. And we we had a um, a regional meeting and everybody walked in and said, Mo, where is everybody? <laughs> and I burst into <laughs> tears and I said, they're gone. I de-hired them. <laughs> They won't be back. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> and that was a real so, turning point, though, Mo. That was a real turning point for the company when you did it that. It was because I was, you know, so tired of the problems and the issues. I was ready to just go back to Oklahoma and have my little region and live happily ever after. <laughs> but there was something inside that really... I didn't want to give up. And then Mike Brody, he stood up and said, Mo, we're going to help you because you don't have enough staff. 
I always tell Gary that I got a trophy for what I did back then. And he looked at me and said, what, what trophy? And I pulled down my sweater and I show him my pacemaker. <laughs> I tell him my pacemaker is my trophy. No kidding. That or the purple star, right? It's one of the, it's, it's your badge. You know, when, when you have to do what it takes and you have the mindset of never, never, never give up, you have got to be a person who can defeat negativity. And there is a Bible verse. I think everybody knows I'm a follower of Christ and that this part of my life is really important to me. But the scripture says, for God has not given us his spirit of fear, but of love, of power, and of a sound mind. So whenever I feel those thoughts, experience those thoughts of, oh, heck, I'm tired, you know, I, maybe I should give up. Then I quote that verse over and over and over and over until I have shoved the negativity out of my mind. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Well, if God didn't give it to us, who's given it to us? You know. <laughs> yeah, that is beautiful. I love that. That is so beautiful. Um, you know, when you take it the, the the will to win, and I love that scripture. Thank you for sharing that. Um, doing what it takes. And I think that never, 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 never giving up because I, I think people often quit right before greatness is about to show up for them, well, no matter what it is in their life. What was the name of the book where they were looking for gold and they quit mining and they were within inches from it? They gave up wow. like two inches before they would have found it. So somebody else came along and found it. Okay, so let's talk about your life today. You shared a little bit about, you know, what's great about being you, um, but what brings you the most joy these days? Well, uh, I'm going to divide that uh, personal and business. Perfect. And um, personally, what brings me great joy is we have had our first great grandchild. Oh. And I thought having grandkids was just the cream of the crop. But let me tell you what, when you live long enough to see generation four, remember oh. I'm gen one, me and my husband, and then Gen 2 would be our children, Generation 3 would be our grandchildren, and now we've got the fourth generation. She's 16 months old, and she has just won my heart, and I'm spoiling her even worse than I did my grandkids. <laughs> I think you're allowed. I think that's in the book of rules somewhere about each generation, you get to spoil them a little more. I think I read Oh, my. That. It's just so much fun. How wonderful uh, is that? Also, personally, uh, when my grandkids were growing up, uh, I always had grandkids dinners. And at the dinner, they had to put their phone on the chest in the hall. They had to come to the dinner table with a topic that they wanted to talk about. 
whatever they wanted to talk about. Then after dinner, we would move into the living room and then we would get to talk about whatever Grammy and Papa wanted to talk about. So <clears throat> um, lately, I mean, they're all grown now. And lately we have been working on teaching them about philanthropic giving. In other words, how do you vet a charity that you may want to give money to? How do you hold that charity accountable for your money? And so at Christmas time, I designated a certain amount of money and they divided it up equally among the three of them. And they went out and vetted charities and then they came up with the plan to hold the charity accountable and they delivered the checks, you know, in, in December. And that was really, really a fun project. That's amazing. I had a teaching. third party um, couple who has helped us set up a family office. They actually taught them a class on philanthropic giving. And then I'm very involved in helping people in need. And right now I'm helping Dr. Dawn and Laquita Roach. And they lost a lot of their savings in, in the stock market crashes. And now they're elderly, they're older than me. And just horrible things have happened to them. Oh. And I find great joy in, in being able to help them. And you are such a great role model of that, my dear, it, which we definitely want to spend some time on. Uh, how about how about for joy work-wise? Anything work-wise? Because you wanted, well, you've got the work kids. Work-wise, my greatest joy is Gary says that I can do whatever I want whenever I want to do it. He says, I've earned that. And it's just so much fun to be able to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. <laughs> You've earned that right. That feels good. And yet you're still dreaming about what you're going to do in your 90s, right? Yeah. I love that. Okay, so you wrote A Joy-Filled Life. For those of you who have not read the book, by the way, Mo, the book is Acres of Diamonds, I think. Acres Somebody put of Diamonds. Okay. That's it. Okay, perfect. I have not read that, so I will add that to my list. Oh, um, do. It's great. I will add that um, you you wrote a joy filled life, which is such a beautiful, beautiful story in so many ways and so many lessons in there. And I know last time I interviewed you, we talked a little bit about the writing process and how much Dave Jenks had helped you and all that. Um, do you have another book in your future? Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> writing that book was really one of the hardest things I've ever done. It took me years to get that book finished. And I surprised Gary with it. I wrapped it up in a Christmas package that year and he opened it and there was that manuscript. And I said, Gary, I want your blessing on this book. So read it to make sure I haven't written anything that would hurt the company, embarrass the company or embarrass you. And he read it and he came back to me and he said, I could only find two misspelled words. <laughs> and, uh, and he didn't find anything 
really, um, and he suggested I use his outside editor. So I sent it to her and uh, asked her to read it. And if there was any phrase or anything she didn't understand to let me know, because sometimes I would find myself using Keller Williams jargon and, and the public, you know, they don't know what Y4C2Ts mean. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What's this language you're using? Yeah. So she came back with four or five phrases or paragraphs that she didn't understand. And I cleaned that up. And then she had me combine two chapters. And so I made one chapter out of two. <clears throat> That's amazing. And I actually wrote the book for my grandchildren and to honor my parents who were, you know, so poor and worked so hard to keep food on the table and shoes on our feet. Yeah. And I wanted to really honor them. And, and then I wanted to honor Richard because he was really the power behind almost everything I've ever done. Yeah. And but I did it in a more subtle way because I wanted the book to be a book the grandkids might read when there were 40 or 50 or 60. <laughs> right. When they were ready, when the time was right for them to actually appreciate it, right? Exactly. And so 45,000 copies later, it's wow. still selling on Amazon, and I'm just shocked. That's amazing. That is just so incredible. And it's a, it's a beautiful book. So those of you that are on the, on the live stream or listening, uh, that is, you can find that on Amazon, a joy filled life by Mo Anderson. It's a great read, great stories in there about, um, your life lessons, which are wonderful. Okay. So here's another question. And we kind of touched on this a little bit. We talked about joy, but what are you most proud of? What are you most proud of? Well, let's do personal and then professional. Perfect. <clears throat> I'm proud of my 64-year marriage. We'll be married 65 years in August. Were there times I wanted to kill him? <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure the reverse was true. I, I mean that figuratively, not literally. Of so course. don't rat on me. <laughs> That's amazing. 65 year anniversary coming up in August. That's, That's right. And, you know, because marriage takes work and a lot of work and, you know, we've made it for 64 years. It'll be 65 in August. I'm really proud of that. <laughs> That's something to be really proud of, Mo. I don't know how many people these days can say that, actually. That's incredible. Because we're totally different, you know. I'm you are totally different high aggressive and bossy and and he is a thinker and and he has an analytic mind and he's quiet and reserved and when he speaks you better listen because he's usually full of wisdom he doesn't just chatter like I do. So you're going to listen to every word. I, I, guess I buy I, a car I, in five minutes. It takes him three years to buy a car. <laughs> yes, I think so we're very, very different. And yet we've made it. And that's why that's the beauty in that, though, right? That's right. That's in that. Okay, and how I, about professionally? Um, 
I'm really, really proud of what I contributed in building and helping to build KWRI because I came in and cleaned it up, got it positioned for growth. When I when Gary asked me to come and be his partner, I thought I would immediately make it grow. And then when I saw that we had so many wrong performers, we had the wrong people on the bus, I just began to dehire. And, <clears throat> and then if we had the money, I would <laughs> hire a staff person to take their place, but we didn't usually have the money. So I'm, I'm really proud because Gary had actually built the basis of the culture, but I was really good at implementing it. What made us such a powerful pair, in my opinion, is I couldn't do what he did because he's got this unbelievable mind and he's a visionary and I, I'm an implementer. So he would come to me with a vision, with his vision, and as he would explain it to me, I knew the steps that would be required to implement it. I'll never forget when we did the, um, the fee for technology the very first time. I think we had a hundred offices back then, if I remember right. And he shared with me in September, the first part of September, I think, I may have the dates wrong. And he said, here's my vision. Here's what I think we need to do. Do you think we can get it implemented by next spring? And I said, what do you mean next spring? We can get it implemented in a month. And he said, in a month? And so I talked to the team leaders, told them, I want you to get your ALCs involved. And if they approve what Gary wants to do, then take it to the agent base and have a vote in the agent base. And when we had the vote, it was 98 offices for it and two, two offices against it. And so I called those two offices and I said, I really want to honor your vote. So I'll stop sending you the information about what we're doing in tech because I know you don't want to be a part of it. And, and uh, I just wanted to let you know, if you don't receive anything, that's I'm going to honor your vote. And two weeks later, they call me and say, oh, we re-voted and we decided we want to be in. <laughs> and I just thought that was pretty good, you know, within That's really weeks, good. we That's had a hundred percent. Yeah. And what a great strategy. You are, you are the brilliant role model of that. What a great strategy to go back to those two. And yeah, that is such a Mo Anderson move right there. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> what would Mo do? That's what Mo do, would do. And, and that is exactly why we all need those bracelets in our life. <laughs> the thing I said, I would honor you, honor your vote instead of yelling at them because they didn't vote yeah. for it. I said, I would honor them. 
Yeah. Well, they realized they would be missing out on the information. So it all worked out. Oh, that's so good. That is so good. I'm also really, really proud of KDB Cares. And um, I'm real proud of our little region. It's really, really small. But in terms of productivity per agent and some of the metrics they, that we don't really track all that much, we really excel. That's you know, we have a business center in Broken Bow, Oklahoma. The average sales price is around, it's close to $700,000. And they are just knocking it out of the ballpark in that community. Can you believe that? The average sale price in, in Oklahoma. Oklahoma. <laughs> yeah, and your, your region is just one state, right? And so it's just Oklahoma. Yeah, we only have nine offices. Oh, wow. And we have a lot of business centers tied to an office. So it's All a right. small region. And I'm really, I'm actually really proud of it. Oh, you should be. Anything else you wanted to mention or should I go on to the next question? Uh, well, I'm really proud of my grandkids. The oldest one is a girl. She is a dermatologist. The second one is, uh, he says he has his dream job and he got it a year after working in a bank. And he is an investment analyst for a wealth management company. And the third one is a senior at OU majoring in economics and finance. Amazing. And, you know, my kids turned out good. <laughs> my grandkids have turned out good. So I'm, I'm real proud of that. And oh. I, I would hope that the grandkids dinners, you know, I taught them when they were little bitty to have three piggy banks. And the first one was their tithe. And the second one was their um, uh, investment. And the last one was their savings. And when we gave them a dollar, then we explained to them 10 cents had to go into the tithe. That's 10%. 10 cents had to go into savings and 10 cents had to go into the investment. And then when the investment piggy bank was full, they brought it to Papa and he talked to him about, about investing in stock and they ended up investing in Disney stock. I love that. <laughs> so to this day, they have a little bit of Disney stock. Oh, that's so great. I, I love that though, but think about that visual. And then the, the grandson that's an investment analyst already has two rent houses that he's bought. And then he bought a multifamily unit in Norman, Oklahoma, which is almost on the campus. And he fills it with all of his beta brothers that were in his fraternity. Oh, all those beta guys come and rent it when, and there's like a waiting list to get in it and it cash flows 40,000 a year. So he has to a year, a year. He has to put some of it away for repairs and that kind sure. of thing, but he's making great money on that investment. And so 
you know, that's pretty proud of that, dear, And I think all of that training that we've tried to do through the years has helped. Yes, that has helped. Well, obviously it's helped. Obviously it's helped. That is such an awesome story. Um, does it surprise you at all, this massive success that KW is having globally? Like, are you surprised at all by this? That must just be the coolest feeling, knowing that you are such a huge part of this. Well, uh, during my my term we did do a lot of the research for the foreign markets because we were premature in opening Canada and we paid a price because we really weren't ready and so I didn't allow that to happen in Europe and Asia and all, all these other countries so I did have a vision of, of op opening there and having great success worldwide, but I was concerned whether or not the foreign markets would adopt our culture. Yeah. And I'm telling you, they have adopted it. They are hungry for it. I, I remember when we had our first red day after Turkey came on. That morning, I had about 200 emails from agents in Turkey. Oh. And they were so excited because they had helped a hospital. And they said, people just don't do this in Istanbul. And we're the only ones doing it. And they took great pride mm -hmm. in their red day. And, I, and, and remember when we had the flood in Houston, yeah. how all of those agents came yeah. and they wanted to be a part of, yeah. of helping Houston. Yeah. yeah, the relief, yeah. And they were, the Turkish agents were assigned to bus 18. And our command center told bus 18 to go to the second Baptist church when they got in Houston. And so when, when those agents got out of the bus, they went to Ellen Marks or Ellen Curtis, who was the bus captain and said, Ellen, why are they sending us to the second Baptist church? They should have sent us to the first Baptist church. <laughs> I thought that was so so, precious. so funny. That is so cute. It's all that translation, right? It didn't translate quite right. Oh, that is so that is so sweet. Well, it must be amazing though, just to see though. Number but one, the culture is accepted yeah. in almost all of those offices. It's amazing, and that just shows what our worldwide team has that what they've done. Yeah. They presented the culture in a way that has made it so acceptable by those people i'm so proud of them i hardly know what what yeah. to think yeah like this week this week family reunion south africa is having their family reunion right and it's so neat to see and so like i'm i'm leading one of the panels tomorrow with their number one agent and things like that and i love helping whatever i can worldwide because it's so amazing to see these leaders of these countries take this concept and bring that culture and somehow they attract the right people. I mean, it's just extraordinary. And, and it all started though, from everything that was built, thanks to a lot of your leadership, my dear. Well, thank you. Thank you. So how does it feel to be an inductee to the Oklahoma Hall of Fame with- uh, Oh my gosh. <laughs> 
my mind never even thought that was possible. I never, ever even, you know, thought about it. Um, How'd I would find out. How'd you even find out, Mo? How did you even learn about it? They called me, the Hall of Fame people called me and said I'd been chosen. <laughs> and you know what I said? I said, I think you've made a mistake. <laughs> well, they had worked through Kelly uh -huh. and they'd gotten all this information and they'd, they had all the stuff and I didn't know it. And I knew they would have to get the information and I thought they'd have to get it from me, but they got it from her. <laughs> You know what's so neat about that, Mo, is I love that because you've had a lot of I know you've had a lot of awards and recognition. I love that one specifically because it because it wasn't just a KW award. And I know you've gotten a lot of awards outside of KW, but the Oklahoma, you know, Hall of Fame, like, come on, it, you know, the impact and for your for your being way ahead in women leaders of great companies. Right. And what a what a way to honor you. I just love that you got that honor. So deserving. Well, it was pretty it was pretty exciting for me. It's probably the most unexpected, greatest honor I've ever had mm. because the Oklahoma Hall of Fame makes it so classy and so beautiful. The actual ceremony, it, it was really special. Yeah, I'm so happy that that was. And I, Keller Williams people from all over came from the East Coast, from the West Coast, when they heard about it. Yeah. And I didn't put out a message or anything. So I guess it was by word of mouth. You I know, think you're loved, Mo. I think you okay. are loved. That's what I think it is. Oh, my. It was just, I'd look up and here would be somebody else I didn't know, you know, who was coming. Yeah. And we're so impressed with the ceremony itself. Do you all remember when we had our last um, in-person mega camp and we had the cultural summit and I had a blind man speak? Yes. Jim Stovall. Do you yes. remember him? He was great. He was inducted into the Oklahoma Hall of Fame this past November. Oh, and I'm so great. proud of him. He's oh, the one God. who wrote the book, The Ultimate Gift, that I tell everybody, make your yep. kids and grandkids watch it when the grandkids are old enough. Uh, it's They made a movie out of it. James Garner starred in it. It yeah. is it is the best movie to show older teenagers or young adults. I love that. So many good tips in this interview. Uh, well, let's talk about giving back because we've talked a lot about how passionate you are about it. Why has that always been so important to you? Well, I grew up in poverty and the only thing we could give as a, as a family was our time. We couldn't give money. And we couldn't give gifts. You know how much fun it is to go buy a gift for somebody and it's something you'd like to have. Well, I read somewhere one time that it isn't really a gift unless you really would like to keep it yourself. <laughs> oh, I like that. I like that. Uh, and there have been a lot of gifts I've given away that I would love to have had myself. But I think I think it's the poverty thing uh, that makes me so joyful that I get to do that. 
because you know I have these different girl groups from my past. The best group. Mm -hmm. I have a real estate group. Uh, and I take these women on these surprise trips. I didn't during COVID, of course, but every year before that, I'd take them on these surprise trips and they would get gifts, pillow gifts. I mean, things like iPads and iPhones back when they came out. And, you know, the robot sweeper that sweeps your house because most of these women not all of them, but most of them uh, have been teachers and they haven't had the funds to buy the fun stuff. And so I love spoiling them. You just don't know how much joy I get from that. And I hope I can do it again before we all die. But I don't know how long COVID's going to be around. And, I know. I know. And you know, yeah, I've seen you all in your poodle skirts and like all your gifts. You, you go all out on that. I just think that is. And what what a memory you're creating together. Excuse me. Amazing. That's right. So well, that's it, why I'm I'm passionate. Okay. Well, and you think about Red Day was born from your passion, right? Red Day was born in honor of you. Uh, because of that passion. And now we get to get, like you said, in Turkey, you know, it, it, it's impacting other countries and that's all coming from this, you know, role modeling from you, Mo. It's, it's amazing. I mean, it, it, do you even realize the, the outreach and the impact that your awesomeness has had on the world? No, I'm just a plain old person. You're so humble. I know. And I, I, you know, one of my favorite days was introducing my mother to you because you have both been such role models for me for so many reasons. Um, you're just amazing. If you, here's a question I'd love to ask you. If you could go back in time, what advice would you give your, your 50 year old self? I would tell my 50 year old self to go back to school and get a major in accounting because Gary asked me to be CEO when I was 57 and I couldn't read a financial because my husband did all that for me when we had our real estate firms before I ever heard of Keller Williams. He handled that for me. He would show me the numbers and, and tell me what was bad and what was good. And I didn't really understand financial statements. When you're a CEO, you need to understand. And I'll never forget when Gary interviewed me, um, he said, what is your greatest weakness? <laughs> I looked at him and I said, I can't read a stupid financial statement without help. And he laughed. And so then when he did ask me to be the CEO, I knew I had to learn. So he told me one day that he wanted me to teach financials to the team leader. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do that. And um, on the, um, where it shows assets, I, I did things like there are airy-fairy assets, and there are assets that you can touch, like furniture and copy machines. So I, I taught it in like a kindergarten. Yeah. <laughs> <method>. <laughs> 
but it, people could understand have no idea how many people came up to me and said I understand it for the first time <laughs> you know that what you just said is so much bigger than than many people may imagine or what you can even imagine that is such good advice because uh, I think that that's for whether you're an agent, whether you're a CEO, whatever it is, whether you're a business owner, whoever's listening to this, if you cannot read financials, then, you know, you never really know where you're at, right? You never know. And so that's it's great right. advice to anybody, Keller Williams or not, right? I think that is such, such, such good advice for people to get better on their accounting skills and understand financials. Uh, so that's what he made me do. <laughs> I love I never, that. I never that. learned to teach it, you know, like the MBA way. I've, I've always taught it the grade school way. The, the Mo way. Well, the Mo way is obviously the way people can understand. I know Jay Papasan and Wendy, but they talk about how Jay showed up to your class on, I think it was reading a, you know, balance sheet or P&Ls or whatever. And he was the only one that showed up. And you taught him one-on-one -on -one, and it changed the whole trajectory of how he understood financials. And now they do so much teaching. And, so there you go. And I had him prepare a budget and the outline of a financial. And then after he did his tracking for a month, then he filled in the blanks, you know, on the financial statement. And then he learned it so well that he passed me. I mean, he 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 knows it the MBA way. <laughs> yeah, he, he does. He, that, but that's it. But you got him jump started in that direction, right? It all started with your teachings. Um, you've talked about some of the things in your life, but do you have a a, a life lesson or Ooh. a favorite story from your journey uh, that you'd like to share with our listeners today? Well, I have a lot of favorite stories, but. Probably the one that had the greatest impact on my life was my father. Um, I, we were in our old pitiful jalopy that ran part of the time, and we were in Enid, Oklahoma. And he took me by the Carnegie Library, and that's where we usually stopped to check out books because we couldn't afford to buy books. And that day he opened the car door, he took my hand and he walked me up the steps of this beautiful old building, which they tore down, that I do have a picture of it. They tore down because it had all this asbestos in oh, it. Yeah. yeah. And he told me the story of Andrew Carnegie. And Andrew Carnegie grew up in poverty like we did. And he made his money in steel. He owned a steel mill. And he was a controversial person politically. But when he grew older and he became ill, he decided to take care of his family first. So he gave them whatever money he gave them. I don't know what he did. And then he had $350 million left over. And $350 million would be like $3 billion today. Wow. Has your dollar devalued? <laughs> I think it has. <laughs> and, and he took that $350 million and he said, what I want to do is I want to place libraries 
across the smaller cities and little towns across the United States. So we put together a team and they would go by the land, they would oversee the building, he would buy the books to put in the library, and then after a year, the library would be given to that city. So he got the library on, on its feet. Wow. He, um, hired the staff. And <clears throat> at the end of telling me this story, my dad looked at me in the eye and he said, now here he is, a man with an eighth grade education. He was poor as could be. And he looked at me and said, I always want you to respect the wealthy. Did you hear that? I always want you to respect the wealthy because the wealthy usually give back. Now, I, I don't really remember for sure how old I was, but I was old enough to get the point. Yeah. And, and the point I got was this, it's okay to be wealthy. And from that moment on as a child, I always said, I want to make more money than I need so that I can give it away. And then it was like he had a match and he lit a fire in my belly, so to speak. There was just something that happened on the inside of me. And I was determined, I was sick to death of being poor. And I was determined that when I grew up, I would not be poor. Well, I was a teacher for 14 years and I, finally discovered I'd never ever make more money than I needed being a teacher sad to say you know it's just awful and um and that's probably the reason I was willing to get into the real estate business when Richard kind of shoved me into it <laughs> because I wanted to make more money than I needed and I am so thankful to my dad for not raising me with a prejudice, with a prejudice against wealthy people. Well, those are those nasty wealthy people, and you know they're greedy and they're blah 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 blah. And and we gotta really be careful what we teach our kids about wealth, because my dad freed me up to work to work hard and develop wealth. I didn't inherit anything from anybody. And now today, you know, we were able to put our granddaughter through medical school and on and on it goes. And it's because of what my father did for me in that moment. So wow. my question to you is, what are you teaching your kids about wealth? Are they growing up thinking that it's not good to be wealthy? Well, let me tell you what, if we didn't have some wealthy agents, we wouldn't be able to fund KW Cares or KW Kids Can or Red Day Projects. Because when you make more than you need, then you can give it to wherever you want to give it. 
Maybe it's to your grandmother for new carpet in her house, or maybe it's to a charity or a ministry or whatever it is your thing is. But you got to have a good attitude about developing more money than you need. It's okay. And I want you to have fire in your belly about making more money than you need. Because the more you make than you need, the more you can help others. Mo and Melanie. It's Kathy. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Mo. Whenever I teach small group or large, I always say, as Mo Anderson says, the higher purpose of business is to give and care and share. That's right. That's amazing. Oh my gosh, I have chills. And I've heard you tell that story before, but I'm so glad we got that on, on today. That is so good. Um, you're, you're really the mentor of mentors. I mean, all of us, I know for Kathy, you've been a mentor for all of us listening. You know, we have, we have listeners from all over the country on this, in our little audience, and we have them on the live from all over too. They're making lots of comments. Um, who's your mentor? Well, Gary has been my business mentor, and uh, my pastor has been my spiritual mentor. Um, I've got two people that, that have helped me in my physical, you know, to be, help me make sure I'm stretched and I work with weights and I take care of my fake knees and my fake hip. <laughs> Superwoman, my pacemaker and my fake aortic valve. Hey, girl, whatever it takes girl, to look I'm like you at eighty-five. Piece, I'm just pieced together, but oh, I love all my fake stuff. But you need people in all those categories, right? You need you, right. you need those people, no matter my. Why I ask you that question is because everybody needs mentors, right? No matter who you are, you need people that inspire you, hold you accountable, help you be a better version of yourself, right? John, John Maxwell has, has played a major role uh, in my life in terms of leadership. In fact, I'm having lunch with him on Monday in Austin. He's going to be in Austin for another meeting uh, I think it's with teachers. I'm not oh, sure. That's so and special. we've arranged to have, and so see, I'll have another mentoring session with him. And I appreciate him so much. Yeah, he's he is just such a wonderful mentor. And we've had financial mentors who give us guidance on risky investing, conservative investing, because when you're ancient like I am, you better be pretty conservative. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That is so cool. But, but listen to that, people. Listen to that. Like all of these different mentors, wherever you are in your life right now, if you don't have mentors around you, right, you're missing out because it, it, how do we become the best versions of ourselves? We surround ourselves with people that are really powerful and, and experts in different, all different parts of our life, right? It's not just one fit for all, right? You didn't say Gary Keller for everything, right? You didn't say your spiritual leader for everything, right? It's all different. Right. When I hadn't even heard of Keller Williams, I had a newspaper owner in Edmond, Oklahoma, who was very wealthy. He had developed wealth on his own. He didn't inherit it. 
and we went to lunch once a month and I would ask him questions about how he developed more money than he needed, what he did, how did he think, what did he read, what did he study, and we did that once a month for years. And in return, I got lots of referrals for my people. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love it. Every, you know, it's, it's the long play, isn't it? It's the long play. It's not, people don't always see short term on the results that are going to come out from a relationship or an experience, right? When you do good and put good out into the world, it may not show up right away, but Mo, I know that you are a believer that it, it will show up some way at some point, right? When you when right. you do good into the world. I know we're almost out of time, so I just have a couple quick questions here. Um, I want to ask you this one because, so I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. I knew I wouldn't get through all of these. Uh, this last two years have been interesting for people, right? Mentally and, and, and the isolation we've had. So, so there may be agents or leaders out there that aren't seeing the success that they would like to have right now right? I mean, just, they're just not for whatever reason, whether it's totally 100% on their own. Um, do you have any advice for them? So anybody listening today, that's maybe not living that life or having that success that they would like to be having? Uh, yes. I would ask them how many hours a day they lead generate. <laughs> because when you have a pandemic like this, it's real easy to back off of your lead generation. Because anytime somebody is not doing well, it's because they're not lead generating enough. And there are a jillion ways to lead generate. Gary, I think, lists almost all of them in the MREA book. <clears throat> but I worked with some people during the pandemic and encouraged them to do nothing but lead generate from their, the people they know. And some of the most amazing things happened. <laughs> you know, the there's a Michigan agent that got 11 listings in one week from doing nothing but calling his sphere of influence. And, and it's exciting what happens when you just lead generate with people you know. Duh. Yeah, I know. I know. And, and it's so interesting because so many times people want to blame everything around. Oh, it's the pandemic. Oh, it's this. Oh, it's that. And you come back to, I had James Shaw on as a guest and, and Tony Zargami out of Florida was visiting and, and he asked the room, how's the business? And she said, oh, we have a, 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 we have a, we have an inventory issue. And he said, Tony, do we have an inventory issue or do we have a lead generation issue? That's it. Right. And she said, OMG. She said, I, that will never come out of my mouth again. And she said they went back and changed that day that they got into action and they ramped up. They needed to talk to more people to hit the numbers they needed to hit. It was this, it was a simple math thing. Anytime an agent isn't doing what they want to do, it's always about lead gen. Yeah. And you're not talking to enough people. Because we yeah. don't let new people who come into the business understand clearly that they're, they're really not joining the real estate business. They're really joining a business that requires lead generation. So if they have an aversion to lead generation, they shouldn't be in this business. Not everybody's supposed to be in real estate. Only those who have initiative, who have discipline and fire in their belly belong in this business. At last question, um, 
what's the greatest compliment everyone anyone's ever given to you and how can we anyone listening best honor uh your legacy well probably the best compliment i've ever had was the oklahoma hall of fame that was just an honor that's just so exceptional i just it just meant the world to me. Just think, a tenant farmer's daughter. I mean, a tenant farmer's daughter who's not supposed to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, it's just, it's just amazing. And how, how you could honor me is team leaders need to lead generate and agents need to lead generate. Um, and then, of course, you know, I, I love the inspirational mornings. So when I die, y'all can call it the Moe's breakfast or something and, and honor me. But it would only be if they hold to the standards of the breakfast that, that we've tried to hold to all these years. So just I love honor that. me by making more money than you need. That would honor me more than anything. Mo, thank you so much for your time. Would you like a last, any last comment before we uh, wrap this up? Well, just know how proud I am of all of you. You've shown courage and you've shown grace and you've shown determination in a really couple of rough two years. And I just want you to know that didn't go unnoticed. And just keep up the good work because you can sell real estate. I don't care if it's a buyer's market or a seller's market, or if there's a recession or there isn't a recession, there's always a need for people buying real estate. You are so blessed to be in this business. It's the greatest business in the world. And just know how proud we all are of you and keep up the good works and know that we love you. <laughs> Here's the kiss. Wow, what a great episode. And I think you got a lot of uh, the idea of why I'm such a huge fan of Mo Anderson. Um, some of the things, just doing whatever it takes, right? It all begins with having the will to win. It's the will to win that you need before you can play to win. And how her second half has been so much better than her first half of her life. And that in her 70s was one of the most efficient and effective, uh, productive decades that she had. How cool is that? A never, never, never give up. And then at the end of the day, you know, when you, when you make more money than you need, you can give more away. So think about that. If you made more money and you lived a life below your means, and where would you give it? Who would you help? Is it a family member? Is it a nonprofit you would start? Is it something you would support? Giving back is one of the most powerful things that we can do on our journey. So I hope she inspired you to think differently about money and income and what you can do with that and the lives that you can touch. And it's okay to make money because the more you make, the more you can give and help the people you love. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Second Half, and we'll see you next time.